Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good Friday morning, everyone. This is Pastor Brett Cornese of Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We are glad you joined us for the Wittenberg Door. And for the next hour, we're going to be talking about God, the world, and us. So I uh, want to say uh, hello to Lee Hall, who's with me today. Good morning. Lee, thanks for coming. And and Sean is back. I'm back. The controls. Yeah. All right, Sean. Very good. Uh, and how you feeling, Sean? I'm doing wonderful. Now, have you made announcements about your thing? Oh, no. I'm, you mean what the procedure and all that? Oh, okay. oh I, I, you know, I had uh, surgery and... I'm doing better. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Glad, good. Yeah. So we, we knew that, but yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. know if everybody else knew or not. So yeah. anyway, we're glad to have you. It's always nice to have you, Sean. Well, thank you. And uh, folks, today we're going to be uh, talking about a little bit about the church year, uh, uh, a, a subject I know that you all just can't wait to sink your teeth into. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the texts that are coming up this Sunday. So uh, first of all, uh, something happened last Sunday that uh, that we all need to know about, and that is Gethsemane Lutheran Church celebrated Trinity Sunday last week, and it was great. We had a great time. We got to say, last week, we actually got to say the Athanasian Creed. Really? Yes, it's, it was wonderful. <laughs> for, for those of you who don't know, the Athanasian Creed was, is like this. It's like uh, three or four creeds put into one. You can actually spread it over three or four Sundays, but we say it all on uh, Trinity Sunday. It's a creed that comes from about the 7th century and, uh, and is uh, uh, explicitly teaches about the nitty-gritty facts of what is, what is the Trinity, what is the Holy Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how we understand that. Uh, so that was last Sunday, Trinity Sunday. And, uh, and it inaugurates uh, what we call the, um, uh, the, you know, the uh, non-festival season of the church year. So Trinity Sunday is kind of like that first Sunday. And then the rest of the Sunday, now the first part of the church year, which begins in November, the end of November, after the first Sunday after St. Andrew's Day, four Sundays before Christmas, we start what's called Advent, which is um, an expectation of the coming of Christ and, and a celebration of his, uh, you know, a, a return to uh, focusing on his first coming and his incarnation. Of course, you've got Christmas and then Epiphany, which is uh, what's called Gentile Christmas, where the works of Christ and the, and the, and the glory of Christ through what he does is manifest. And then you have, of course, of Lent, which is a preparation for Easter, uh, a season of fasting, a season of uh, mourning, a season of remembering the works of Christ on the cross, his suffering and death for us. And then, of course, you have Good Friday and uh, Easter Sunday, when we celebrate his resurrection. 
So in the first half of the church here, what we're thinking about is what Christ has done. So what, he, what he's done in his second coming, or what he will do, what he does in his incarnation, uh, his becoming man, what he does in his death and resurrection, what that is all about. And then uh, now the second half of the church, that, that's, the, that's the, about the life of Christ, the second half of the church here now, the one we're in, is about the teachings of Christ, what Christ teaches, and, uh, and how he explains the kingdom of God to us. And so both are important. We need to know both what Christ has done, and if we're disciples of Jesus, we want to know what, what Jesus tells us, what, what he teaches us. So, uh, so last Sunday, the Trinity Sunday, was, the, was the, you know, the, the, maybe the highest... Uh, uh, why is Trinity Sunday the first Sunday in the non-festival season? Because <clears throat> uh, what Christ reveals to us when he teaches us about the Holy Trinity is the apex. It's, it's, the, it's the summit of Jesus' teachings. It's the, it's the biggest thing that he, he reveals to us is this uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, when he tells his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, uh, so here we are. We're in the in the second half of the church year. We're in the uh, uh, in the half where we, we we learn about Jesus, what Jesus teaches, and so we're going to just start right away with our lessons. And uh, Lee, if you would please read to us uh, the first lesson, the Old Testament lesson from Genesis. Uh, this is from the English Standard Version. It's uh, Genesis 15 verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a, vis in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, or Abram, I, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Okay. So uh, we begin the church here in the Old Testament lesson with the doctrine of justification. And uh, what this, what this uh, first text is about, it's about the justification of, of Abraham. Uh, now, you notice that when Lee read the text, uh, he read Abraham's name as Abram. Uh, Abram, that's, that was his name. Um, when God renames Abraham, it's because Abraham uh, is included in the covenant God doesn't rename Abraham until Abraham is circumcised, or at that point when he, where, he's read, where he's told to be circumcised. And then he, he, he says that Abraham is, is uh, now, uh, what Abraham means is the father of nations. That's actually the father of peoples. Ham in, in uh, Hebrew means uh, a people, and Hamim means peoples. So he's the father of the people. Uh, Abraham, and he he is the father of the people because of something that's already happened. He has believed the Lord, 
and the Lord has reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, this is a very interesting text. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 3 and 4, makes a great deal of this text because it really uh, begins to teach us about what God does for sinful human mankind, uh, sinful mankind. Well, Abraham, who is like us, uh, a child of Adam, that he's, he's like us, born with a corrupt nature. And yet God takes Abram out of, uh, out of the mass of the peoples. And by this time, this is well after Noah's flood, a thousand years after Noah's flood or more. And uh, it's, so it's well after Noah's flood. The earth has multiplied again. And, um, and the peoples have been divided at the Tower of Babel. And so you have uh, Genesis 10 teaches us about 70 nations that, uh, that came from the, uh, the seed of Noah. And uh, so you have these 70 nations of peoples. And out of, that, out of all those nations, God takes Abraham, and he takes him here, and he selects him to be the recipient of his word. And this is something that Paul says in Romans chapter 3. He says, what advantage has the Jew? And Paul says, great in every respect. Uh, because they have the oracles of God. And this is where it begins. This is where God takes man out of this lost human race and he begins to speak his word to him. And the first word that God speaks to this man is a word of justification. Isn't that wonderful? That's really wonderful because it tells us what God's program for mankind is. God wants to take sinful human beings and he wants to justify them. That means he wants to declare them righteous, just as he declares Abraham righteous here. And how does God declare us righteous? Now, I think most of us, when we kind of try to, try to uh, answer that question on our own steam, most of us, come, all of us really, come up with this answer. We think that God justifies us on the basis of what we do. So, if we live a good life, if we, you know, take care of our neighbor, if we don't, if we're not too bad, you know, and everybody knows there's some badness in them, right? Uh, and that's why we compare ourselves with other people who are worse than us, right? You know, we may not be Mother Teresa, right, taking care of the lepers in Calcutta, but, you know, we're not John Wayne Gacy, right? <laughs> uh, so... So all of us have kind of this, and this is, a, this is a, a, a feature of our sinful human nature, that we believe that God's going to justify us on the basis of the way we live our life. And if we live our life good enough, we get God's approval. And, and really, this is what all human religions, every, every human religion, every religion that has its origin in man, is based on this principle. And there can be all kinds of differences in religions. You know, for instance, um, uh, you know, uh, one God in, in uh, Judaism and in, in, uh, Islam, uh, many gods in Buddhism and, and uh, uh, in Hinduism, right? So wide varieties of uh, what, what we can expect, for instance, right? In Islam or in, in, in Judaism, what you expect is heaven, and you expect paradise, 
restored, right? In uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, you kind of expect really nothing, right? You be just kind of become one with the universe, and 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 that's it. That's really what what you're what you're going after, right? Atheism too. Yeah. So so in atheism too. But there's a little, but kind of and which is by the way, atheism is a theism. It is oh, yeah. a, it is yeah. a study of God, by the way. Uh, but but all these religions they have all kinds of differences. But the one thing they have in common is that you get rewarded for the way you live your life. Right. Be, be good. Yes. And God will like you. Be good, and God will like you. And what what. Uh, the scriptures teach from the earliest time. Genesis chapter 12. This is 12. We're, folks, we're 12 chapters into the Bible, right? Which is just, a, just a, a brief space. And here God lays out for us when he, begins to, when he begins to take a nation and teach them who he is, he lays out for them the whole program. The whole program is that God is going to justify us not on the basis of what we've done, or, you know, how we thought, or, you know, whether we really loved people or not, God is going to justify us on the basis of faith, right? Mm -hmm. So Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, God credited righteousness to Abraham on the basis of faith. It had nothing to do with the law. It, it has... Abraham believed God's promises. God makes these promises to Abraham. And these promises, really, when you get, when you kind of tickle the surface and you kind of get underneath the skin of what that promise is, it's a promise of eternal life. And, and it's a promise of God saving his people. And, and Abraham believes that God is going to save his people. And, and because Abraham believes that God is going to save his people, God declares him righteous on that basis. Um, now, by the way, we also want to remind people that these Old Testament believers, they understood a lot more about Christianity than we give them credit for. Um, they grew up, and even Abram grows up in this culture, this atmosphere of sacrifice, of blood sacrifice, and uh, and yet Abraham, the, you know, what we find about in the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament, and Abraham is included. He's one of the prophets. But what we what we discover about these prophets in the Old Testament is they really know that all these sacrifices that are being done. This can be true of Moses or, or the later prophets, Isaiah. They really know that all these sacrifices that they're that they're doing don't really mean much, but that they're pointing to an ultimate sacrifice. They're, they're working toward the time when Jesus will be sacrificed, the Son of God, and he will rise again, and faith in him will justify the many, right? And so here it is, but this is where it begins, in Genesis chapter 12, where God starts laying out this, this puzzle, you know, and, and you don't see it all right away. God doesn't, you know, uh, say the whole thing right away. What he does is it's like um, when you're watching somebody put together a jigsaw puzzle, right? And you go by uh, when they first start the, the borders, you know, that's how everybody starts the, the jigsaw puzzle, put the borders together first. And, and it doesn't seem like much when, you know, you kind of get the edges on. But then as, as you see the puzzle develop, 
you really see, wow, what a great work of art or whatever it is, you know, your, whatever picture or, you know, uh, whatever the jigsaw puzzle is. And you see how it all comes together, but you don't really see it until the end, right? It's kind of that way through the Old Testament. We, we see kind of the outlines of justification in the Old Testament, but we don't see the whole picture until Christ comes, until really Christ is raised from the dead. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, during Christ's ministry, he kind of wanted to keep some of these things under wrap. Mm-hmm. So some of these mysteries, even even though the disciples knew of them, yeah. he said he didn't want for them to proclaim any of that until yeah. after he until after he'd been risen. Yeah, because it's it's in the death and resurrection of Jesus that everything is understood. That we now have a complete peace. And, that's when, and, and this is the moment when God gives the church the Holy Spirit and they begin to go out and they begin to preach Christ. So, so it was all intentionally kept under wraps yes. until the, the wow. resurrection. Right, that's right, that's right. And so, um, yeah, it's like, uh, oh, it... Uh, does anybody ever watch, uh, what's the name of that, with Chip and Joanna, that, that TV show? Um, it's, Who watches TV? We listen the, to the radio. It's the, yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. It's the, it's the, oh, I'm sure people out there are, are going to know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's where they, they redo that, they rehab the house. They, uh, they get somebody to buy a house, and then the house gets rehabbed, and then they have this reveal. At the last minute. Oh, yes. Where they uh, show... I can't think of what yeah, they... What my wife that? loves that program, by the way. Oh, Fixer Upper? Fixer Upper. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. And anyway, right at the end, they have this... They, they put together this huge painting or picture uh, that covers the whole house yep. on the outside and what the house looked like. Yep. And then Chip and Joanna, their husband and wife, yep. and... Um, and they're both at each end, and they kind of roll it out. They pull it apart, and then you see the new house or what it looks like with everything done. And that's really kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's the same principle. It's what God does. It's when Christ raises from the dead, when that, when that tomb is opened, right? That's the reveal. That's the wow moment, you know, when we see what God is up to, right? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, so anyway, but it begins here, begins, you know, and, it, and, and it's, uh, it's like it all makes sense when, I'm going to give one more analogy because I, I just love this. Uh, uh, you ever watch, uh, who's, the, who's the guy that, uh, the, the movie director that did Signs oh. and he did um, uh, The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? You know what I'm talking about. You're a movie Night watcher. Shyleman, is it? Yeah, M. Night Shyleman. Oh, yeah. You know how with his movies... Um, you kind of get all these clues throughout the movie. And then at the end, like especially remember in The Sixth Sense, at the end, he kind of runs through all the clues again. Uh-huh. And he shows you those moments where he was showing you the clues. Yeah. And, and, it, and then it kind of all makes sense. And that's the way, you know, when you look at Scripture, Scripture is very much like that. When you, understanding the death and resurrection of Christ and his accession, uh, ascension to the right hand of God, and then you go back and you look in the Old Testament, and then it's like, wow, yeah, I should have got that, you know? And wow, this is cool. And everything, and you can see how it's all kind of building up. And, and it begins here in Genesis 15, Genesis 12, I'm sorry. So, how's that? I get excited when I think about what the Old Testament does. I love the Old Testament. He gets excited about the Athanasian Creed, too. Yeah, I get excited. I get, I get excited about all kinds of weird things, you know? Uh, there you go. Uh, okay. 
All right, so Lee, why don't you tell us what our, our next lesson is? All right, our, epi- our epistle lesson is uh, from 1 John. That's not the gospel, that's the letter. Uh, beginning at uh, ver- uh, chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in, uh, with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he is, because he is so also uh, are we in the, in the world. Uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever, fear, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. Uh, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who, whom he has not seen. And this, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Now, here is another text. Um, and I kind of told you about the Old Testament. Um, and, th- and there's another part of the Bible called the epistles. They come after the gospels in the book of Acts. Now, in, in the New Testament, the gospels in the book of Acts are kind of historical portions of Scripture. Uh, you can't, I mean, uh, historical, even that has to be qualified a little bit because the Gospels are are really more uh, proclamations about who Jesus is than historical records. Uh, they, 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 they approach the subject in a different way than maybe like a newspaper reporter would, would do or, a, or a, a cop, for instance, who's investigating certain things. It's, it's a different kind of thing. But, it, but generally speaking... We can kind of say they're they're historical in nature, and uh, of course they're all about Christ. They're written by the apostles or or by um, the you know uh, we might say the servants of the apostles in the case of Luke and Mark. Uh, and then after the Book of Acts in the New Testament, we come to the epistles. Now the epistles are uh, letters. Uh, that's what the word epistle means. Epistolos in Greek means a letter. And so these are letters written from the apostles. Most of them are written by the apostle Paul. Uh, Thirteen letters are written by Paul. Uh, one letter, the book of Hebrews, we're not really sure who wrote that, but it has been received very early by the church. A couple were written by Peter. A couple, Three were written by John. And then you have uh, James and Jude who each write a letter. But they write these letters to the church, and uh, they write them as apostles. And let me tell you what that means, because uh, to hear from an apostle is really to hear from Christ. When the apostles speak, they speak with the authority of Christ. And so, as we said earlier, as I said earlier in the broadcast, um, the second half of the church year is about the teachings of Christ. And this is where these epistles, they really become important in the second half of the church year because they continue to teach us what Christ teaches us. And, uh, and even in this text, of course, we have, uh, you know, we have numerous gospel lessons that are very similar to this, especially from the book of John, 
the Gospel of John. So John, who, uh, by the way, also wrote the Gospel, wrote this epistle, wrote this letter to the church. And, um, and as we are thinking about justification, as we did in, in Genesis, this kind of continues the theme of justification, but it kind of teaches us what the fruits of justification are, as well as justification. Now, very clearly, Scripture teaches that we're not justified by our works. We're not justified by our love for other people. That's not what justifies. What justifies us is Christ and his work, his death and resurrection has, has justified us. And everyone who believes in that has forgiveness of sins and they, they, are, they are like Abraham. They are declared righteous before God. They're declared without sin, which is wonderful, good news, right? And so when, when the apostle John begins to teach here, uh, one of the things he says here, and this is in this fourth chapter of his letter, so we have come to know, and by the way, uh, the chapters were in, uh, John, for instance, when he's writing this letter, doesn't write chapter four, you know, verse one. Uh, these are all divided later, actually in the 17th century when we get these chapter and verse di divisions. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, so here's John, and he's teaching this, teach, teaching the note that we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. So where, so John wants us to know that everything that's good in our life begins with the love that God has for us. In other words, a justification, being declared righteous, it begins with God's love for us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? So, so, so where John begins this is with the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. He says, by this is, uh, by this is love perfected, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. In other words, it's by the love of God that we have confidence in the day of judgment. When I stand before God, it's going to be the reason I'm going to stand before God is because God loved me and God doesn't want me to perish. God wants to give me eternal life. And, um, and, and so it's not because I loved. It's not because I was good. It's not because I met all of God's requirements. I haven't. Lee knows that, don't you, Lee? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lee's been around me enough to know that this, uh, this pastor is a sinner. <laughs> And, uh, and yet, uh, I'm a justified sinner because God loved me. And that thing that God did out of his love, sending his son to be the propitiation for my sins, the, the sacrifice for my sins, that love of God is what saves me. That's what, that love of God is, is what I believe in. And that's, that's why I'm found to be righteous in God's sight. And, I, but, yeah, go ahead. Can I ask you a question? When sure, you, yeah. Uh, when you said eternal life, uh -huh. can you define that? Yeah, well, uh, eternal life means, well, first of all, we could say to live forever, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and, and, to, and the, so that's the eternal part, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that happens because we have life from a God who is eternal, a God who had no beginning and no end. And so he brings us with him into this eternity. We had a beginning. 
right? So we're not eternal. But God uh, lifts us up and brings us with him into the rest of eternity. So we'll share eternity with him. The life part is, um, we might say, uh, heaven, right? Well, it's, it's the resurrection. It's the promise of the resurrection. Yeah, well, but... but where, where the Muslims and the Jews and, and those who believe in heaven are, are missing out on the eternal life aspect yeah. is, is that Christianity believes what Christ told us is that we would all be raised again. Yes. That, that eternal life is in our bodies. Right, that's oh, true. Okay. Uh, boy, th- by the way, that's, that's very important. So in other words, you get to see your loved ones again, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, we have these indications. And by the way, in Genesis, when Abraham dies, mm-hmm. and, and it says of Abraham he was gathered to his people, and when Isaac and Jacob die, they were gathered to their people. By the way, we're going to see a little bit of what this means in the gospel lesson to be gathered to your if people. We if we to get it. to it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, so, um, so eternal life basically means to live with God forever, to live with in peace and joy and harmony and love. And with and, each other. And with each other. And we all have this kind of, you know, in all human relationships, even the closest ones, mother and son or mother and daughter, right? There's always kind of these things that go on that, yeah. that kind of, you know, and it's not perfect, right? And right. there it's perfect. There it's life, right? Gotcha. So, okay. All right. Uh, if that no helps. drama. Yeah. Yeah. No, no drama. drama. No drama. It's peaceful. Uh, yeah. So anyway, when we've come to know God, when we've come to believe in God because of God's love for us and, and because we believe that love, then something happens to us. Then we begin to love as God loves. Not perfectly, right? Um, as Christians, when we get the Holy Spirit, when we believe in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to us, um, we have love for our neighbor, but we also have the old sinful nature, right, that kind of gets in the way. And so our love is imperfect, but it is there. And it it should be growing and increasing. We should be becoming more, more, we should be becoming more patient with people. Uh, uh, And so what what, uh, John is teaching us here in the spirit of Christ is that we love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love, his bro- love God whom he has not seen. Right? In other words, our justification, when God declares, it's not just kind of an empty thing. It's not just a declaration. But it comes with the Spirit of Christ who begins to renew us and to change us. And so, uh, let's keep the cart behind the horse here, right? In other words, the horse, what drives this thing is justification. And the cart, our good works or our love comes afterwards. It's not the other way around. It's not our love that motivates God or our good works that motivates God to love us. It's he first loves us and then now we begin to love our neighbor. How's that? And we still have time for the gospel lesson. Isn't that <laughs> yes, wonderful? That's wonderful. Because this gospel lesson, by the way, boy, the way, oof. let's go to the gospel lesson. Yeah, this is one that sticks with you. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31 from the ESV, the English Standard Version. 
there, uh, and this is Christ speaking, so this is in quotes. It would be in red letter if you had, if you had a New Testament did that, that yeah. did that. Yeah. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell f- from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here uh, may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's one wonderful text. And... um, and in some ways, it's, it's kind of a disturbing text uh, because it brings up this subject of hell. Now, folks, remember that when, when Jesus teaches, uh, it, it's not all about balloons and cotton candy, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus introduces us to some hard realities. And one of the hardest realities is the subject of eternal torment. You asked a question a few minutes ago about eternal life. And we, we talked about, you know, this life that we share with God and joy. Well, and, 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 and of course, for those who don't believe, for those who have rejected God's love, then it's really just the opposite. And we see it in this case, in this parable that Jesus tells about a man named Lazarus. By the way, this, Jesus does not tell this parable, uh, uh, you know, without knowing what he's saying. Right, for instance, uh, one of the great miracles of Jesus, and one of the things that attracts many crowds to him on the day that he enters Jerusalem, was the raising of his friend Lazarus from the dead. Right, and so um, you know, when Jesus tells this parable, he's not just uh, whistling Dixie; he's got a reason for this. Uh, at any rate, he tells us this parable about Lazarus and the rich man, and of course. At first, we, we, we think we see what it means when we see how sumptuously this rich man fed, on, you know, how he was clothed in this, these wonderful garments, right? And how Lazarus and his rags longed to eat from the table of the rich man, hungry and ragged, laying at the rich man's gate. 
and having these dogs lick his sores, which is, uh, you know, for Jews of that day, uh, um, the most unclean animal was a dog, you know. Uh, uh, and so uh, this was a, thought to be a curse for this Lazarus, right? And, um, and so uh, they both die, which all men do die, every one of us. One thing we have in common, we have many different things, you know, many, many different things in life that some are rich, some are poor, some are smart, some are not so smart. But the one thing we all have in common is that we all die, right? And after death is this future, this life after death, this existence after death, maybe in the case of some. And, uh, and this is where the, the kind of the roles get reversed, and here, Lazarus, who seems to be so poor, so, so bad off, and the rich man who, who everybody would envy, you know, and when, when, by the way, when Jesus is telling this parable, people are in envy of this rich man. Eats sumptuously, clothes himself in purple. That's the life I'd like to have. You know, this guy's hit the lottery. And yet, he, he really didn't hit the lottery. It, it, it's worth mentioning, I think, at this point, that most people have the notion that if you are blessed with material things that that God favors you that you are somehow in God's favor yeah. you're a rich man yeah oh and also by the way there's uh, there's the view that um, this rich man why does he end up in torment why does he end up in hell well obviously he ends up in hell because he didn't love his neighbor right and by the way uh that's putting, as I said before, putting the cart before the horse. This man doesn't love his neighbor, doesn't love Lazarus, doesn't help him, because he doesn't believe in God. And we find this out at the end of the parable. At the end of the parable, Jesus explains what it all means. As this rich man who longs for a dip of water to cool his tongue, whatever that means, Whatever that means in eternity, we, we don't really know. You know, Jesus is using, of course, metaphors here. But whatever it means to be in torment, this man's in it. And, um, and he longs for Lazarus to just to dip the tip of his finger in water and, and cool his tongue. And Lazarus, who's being comforted, and Abraham, here's this great figure, Abraham again, and he's the father of the faithful, and here is faithful Lazarus, who believed the scriptures, who believed the good news. How do we know this? We'll get, we find out right here. He's being comforted while this rich man is in torment. And, and the Abraham, Father Abraham, to this rich man, can't help, can't help this guy. He's in eternal torment. And, uh, and so, it's, it, so what he says at the end, it's then, then Father, I have five brothers. Send, send Lazarus to my to my father's house that, that they may be warned not to come here. And you know what, G, well, you know what the answer is uh, through Abraham, um, Jesus' is teaching? They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the scriptures. And the scriptures do warn us about eternal judgment. And so let them hear them. And this is where, and this is the money shot of the whole parable here. This is the crux of the parable. Um, that this rich man doesn't didn't realize what he was what he was about to encounter because he didn't listen to Moses and the prophets. 
he didn't listen to that message that God had revealed about his own love for mankind and his and his own desire to save mankind, not on the basis of works, but on the basis of his love, on the basis of Christ, life, death, and resurrection. And if that rich man had, had heard Moses and the prophets, and, and they were heard in the synagogue every Sunday, Moses and the prophets were read every, every Saturday, I'm sorry, every Sabbath day, they were read to them, and he, and he excluded himself from the hearing of God's word. And as a result, he didn't hear the good news about God's salvation. And so he ends up ultimately in judgment and in torment. Whereas Lazarus, who although Lazarus lives this life that none of us would envy, laid at the gate of a, of a, of a rich man, covered with sores, longing to eat something, we find out who it was that was rich and who was poor. The rich man was the one who heard the word of God and believed it. The poor man was the one who, although he had many material gifts, refused to hear the word of God and refused to be comforted by it. And so, so who is rich and who is poor? Boy, this kind of this kind of sets upside down what our notions of rich and poor are. The rich are those who hear God's word and believe it. Right, and here's Lazarus being comforted in eternity, uh, and and we find out that it was really Lazarus that was clothed in in rich garments because Lazarus was clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It was really Lazarus that fed sumptuously because he he listened to the delights that God has offers us in His Word. You know, for those who believe in Christ who come to hear his word, who receive the sacrament. My friends, when you go to the sacrament, when you, when you go to communion and you receive the body and blood of Jesus, you are feasting sumptuously, even though the world may not recognize it as such. And you are being, in baptism, you are being clothed with the righteousness of Christ, uh, the most beautiful garment in the world, even though people may not recognize it as such. Those who believe and are baptized have this wonderful future ahead of us. But those who foolishly ignore the scriptures and refuse to hear God's word are poor beyond description. And only eternity is going to reveal this to us. Only in eternity do we learn it. So, so Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the rich man objects. He says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone rises from the dead, they will believe. Now, I think this is also a reference not only to Lazarus' resurrection, but, a, but a, a reference to Jesus' own resurrection. You know, the resurrection of Jesus, we should believe it, right? And there's ample evidence of it. And yet, what do we find? Most of the world doesn't believe it. Most of the world rejects it, as they do Christ and as they do God's love in Christ. And so it's a, you know, it's a very sobering lesson that Jesus teaches us here. But it all revolves around the word and the proclamation of the word and the proclamation of God's love. The love that we find, have found in Jesus Christ and in his life, death, and resurrection. The love that God shows us and the love that we should then express to others. So, great. Okay. 
Very good. This is, uh, I love this. I love these lessons, by the way. And this, uh, you know, the first Sunday in, in, uh, in, Trinity, in the Trinity season, the first Sunday after Holy Trinity, what a wonderful way to start the, this half of the church year. And uh, so, folks, uh, we want to say that if you don't have a church home, uh, we invite you to come and hear the word of God with us. Feast sumptuously on the good gifts that God is offering us. Even if you're poor, even if the world regards you as poor, come because God has a table spread for you that cannot be matched by anything in this world. And uh, so come. Our, our services are Saturday afternoon at 4.30 and for the um, morning challenged. And, uh, <laughs> and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., um, at 219 East Church Street, we're right beside, right beside, between the old YMCA and Rocky's Bicycle Shop. Uh, so we invite you to come, and we invite you to feast sumptuously, sumptuously with us, and we invite you to receive this robe of righteousness with which God covers his people. Well, we thank you for being with us today. Uh, this will be rebroadcast Sunday morning at 9 12 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 7 12 a.m. And we thank you for joining us for the Wittenberg Door. We see you next week. All right. All right. Thank you.